The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, that your word says you are for us, you are not against us. We thank you, Jesus, that you pray for us, And how amazing to know that the Son of God is praying for us, coming before God the Father to draw us closer to you. We pray that you would anoint Randall to speak clearly, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. All right, good morning. How is everyone doing? Good? All right, well, uh, my name is Randall, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's good to see you this morning. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, We are right now finishing up a series in John 17 uh, called Jesus' Prayer. And what we've been studying over this past month is just what Nancy talked about, Jesus praying for us, praying for believers, praying for the church. Um, And so what, what does Jesus pray for? What are the things that concern Jesus as he's about to go to the cross? That's what we've been studying, and the message today is entitled, A Renewed Oneness. A Renewed Oneness. As we look at Jesus praying, what does he pray? He prays for oneness, but it's a renewed oneness. See, do you realize that as Jesus is praying, the thing he prays for is that you and I would be one with God and one in community, relationships. You see, something has happened in our modern society and and we see it all around us. There's more and more division. And 17 years ago, uh, Robert Putnam released a groundbreaking research that America was more disconnected than ever in a book entitled Bowling Alone. Based on vast research, uh, Putnam gave examples of how disconnected we are from family, friends, neighbors, and that our lack of connections with each other is impoverishing our lives and communities. He said, people used to be in bowling leagues, but now people bowl alone. We're the most individualistic society in history. And so as we become more advanced, What we've seen is that technology hasn't helped our disconnectedness either. 
Um, in 2012, Sherry Turkle wrote an article in the New York Times entitled, The Flight from Conversation. And here's what she said. We've become accustomed to a new way of being alone together. We want to customize our lives. We want to move in and out where we are because the thing we value most is control over where we focus our attention. We've gotten used to the idea of being in a tribe of one, loyal to our own party. To some, this seems like a good idea, but we can end up hiding from one another even as we are constantly connected to one another. What does Jesus pray for? That we are one with God in relationship with God and we have true, real community, a oneness. So why are we so disconnected? Well, in Genesis chapter three, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, there's something called the fall. Adam and Eve made a choice. They rebelled against God. They said, God, we wanna be like you. We wanna be in your position. And what happens is they lost their perfect relationship with God and one another. And their response is eerily similar to our struggle today. You can find it in Genesis 3, starting in chapter, or verse 8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? See, what's the good news today? What's the gospel? That as disconnected as our generation is, as disconnected as our society is, there is a God who calls out in relationship and says, where are you? Today we find that same God who called out to Adam and Eve saying to us, where are you? And he is in this verse praying that we would experience a renewed oneness with him and one another that has been lost since the garden. And this oneness would only be possible because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Since the fall, we've tried to build relationships in our own image and on our own strength. And on the outside, they might look good for a while, but they eventually fall apart, don't they? My wife once said, even the best relationships need the grace of God. Even the best relationships need the grace of God. Okay, so it's not like, okay, everything's just gonna work out and be perfect. We all need it. The more we try, the more we discover that we can't do it. A man-made oneness is temporary, but a renewed oneness based on God is eternal. And so today, Jesus prays for a oneness amongst Christians that only God can do. And he says in verse 21 this, that this type of oneness as Christians come together based on God and in a relationship, it will reveal to the world that God is real. See, many people question, well, is God real? But as Jesus prays, he says, as they see the oneness that you have, the relationship that you have with one another, as you love one another, it will reveal to the world that the Father has sent me. And so our text today is John 17, 20 through 26. And the question is this, what is it that makes us one? In Jesus' prayer, we find three linchpins for a renewed oneness. And so I'm gonna give you all three up front if you're taking notes today. Also, you can look on the app and follow along. But here's what they are. 
And we can find it in this, this text of scripture. The first one is, it's a solid foundation. Number two, it's a sense of awe. And number three, it's a spiritual awakening. Solid foundation, sense of awe, spiritual awakening. And so we start with the first point, a solid foundation. You can find it in verse 20. And so starting in verse 20, here's what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now, as we were studying earlier in uh, John chapter 17, Jesus talks about God's word and how Jesus gives his disciples God's word, who God is, what God's done, God's truth. And so he's passed it on to his disciples and he says the thing that's gonna hold you together as believers is God's word. That's gonna hold you together. Now what's the word Jesus is talking about? Well, it's God's word right here in our hands. It's God's truth. It's it's God's revelation of himself in Jesus. See, we can have many ideas about what we think about God or how we should define truth. But the real question is, well, if we're connected by God, how does God define God? How does God define truth? See, we live in a society today that says truth is relative. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. But as we dig deeper and really think on that, it's, it's a little scary, isn't it? Because it just doesn't add up. If your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and it doesn't match up, is there truth? I was recently looking at the news um, and saw this article that popped up and it, it, it talked about a story that happened in Florida. It said there was a disabled man in Florida who had drowned while teens videoed and mocked and laughed at him. And I read the story and I was just shocked by it. I was like, this is, this is unbelievable, this is crazy. Um, and in the story it says that no one called 911 when he started having trouble staying above water. He started to struggle and scream for help. They just laughed, said the officer. They didn't call the police. They just laughed the whole time. He was just screaming for someone to help him. While the incident depicted on the recording does not give us a sufficient evidence to support a criminal prosecution under Florida statute. This is the, the officer saying, he says, we can find no moral justification for either the behavior of persons heard on the recording or the deliberate decision not to render aid to Mr. Dunn. It says, despite the tragic outcome, the teens didn't appear to show any grief, according to police. There was no remorse, only a smirk. Now, there's something in us that would have to say, that's not right. But what's the moral basis to justify that that's not right? You see, God has put truth out there. It says this is what the truth is. But when there's no solid foundation, we have nothing to stand on for morality. But as Jesus prays, he says, I have given them your word, God's word. See, what we see in God's word is this, that we are all created in the image of God. We're all created bearing who God is. And so every human life is valuable because God made it valuable. 
But when you have no basis for that truth, well, it's, it doesn't stand. See, God is, God's word has been passed down from the disciples all the way down to us today. And I'm telling you today, it's a solid foundation. See, it's not, well, what does Pastor Randall think? Or what does this person think? It's, no, what does God think? What does God think? And as I, I was talking this week with uh, one of our youth who goes to Grace City Youth here, and I was just telling her, I said, you know, we were just going through all the different reasons that the Bible is, is something that you can stand on, valid, right? 66 books, 40 different authors, three different continents, over 1,600 year span, like all of this one unified story. How, how does that all come together? See, as you study more and more, you'll realize that this, this isn't something that man could put together. This is God's truth. And it holds us together in a oneness. But the second part is this, a sense of awe. So we see a solid foundation in in God's word, but we also see a sense of awe. So you can find in verse 22, it says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. See, Jesus says something amazing here. He prays that the oneness of all believers should look like the oneness between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, God in one. See, God is one God in three distinct persons. And each person plays a specific role, yet God is intimately connected. You say, well, I don't understand that. It's amazing, isn't it, that we have a God that you can't put into a test tube and say, well, I got him figured out. But what we see is God in this perfect unity coming together in relationship and saying, I want that type of relationship to happen amongst those who believe. I had a friend once tell me, he said, "Um, independence is not a Christian value. Interdependence is. See, so many times we're so self-sufficient and individualistic that we say, well, I don't need anybody else. But yet we see God in perfect relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, saying, I want you to have that type of relationship as believers with one another. And so what is it that unites us? Jesus says it's God's glory. It's God's glory See, what do we know about God's glory? Well, we know it's perfectly displayed in Jesus. As we started John almost a year and a half ago, we read in John 1.14 this. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. As you look at Jesus, as you look at who he is and what he's done, you, you look at the glory, it just, it just shines right off of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says this, and he is, the radiance, er, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. See, as, as we, we look at the glory of God, there should only be one response. It's the same response that we see from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six in the Old Testament. As he comes before God, 
and he sees his glory radiating, he says, basically, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be in your presence, God. That's what we see from Isaiah. See, when we experience God's glory in Jesus, our only response is to have a sense of awe that brings us closer together, and here's what it is. Here's what brings us closer together. We realize that God is here, and we're down here. We're just all down here, right? But God is so lifted high, glorious, amazing. This is who he is. His thoughts, his ways are higher than my ways. It all brings us together down here in this sense of awe. Just like when I was uh, studying with my friend Luke this past week, we've been going through the book of Psalms together and we've been studying and and we got to this place in in, in Psalm chapter seven where it just talks about um, God being ready like this warrior. And we see scriptures in the Bible where it talks about the wrath of God and we're like, what is this? It's this that God is all powerful and he is right in every judgment that he makes. And as we looked at each other, we said we, we don't really think of God in that type of way, like, wow, that God has the power to do anything he wants to do and he is a righteous judge. And we were just kind of left from that study just with a sense of awe of who God is. Wow. And that that God wants a relationship with me. See, thinking on the glory of God brings a sense of awe that brings us all together. It says, Jesus, you're lifted up high. That's what draws us in. It connects us in a way where others just won't understand. It won't. And so this is the, really the, the important part. It's, it's the third point. It's this spiritual awakening. Verse 25 and 26. Um, and so let's look at this. It says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the world with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Okay, there's a lot here. But lastly, what is it that brings us together? It's that this. Jesus does something much deeper in our lives than we could come up with. He, he, he comes all the way down to the heart See, Jesus says something here about make some, making something known to us. The love of God. The love of God. See, what, what is it? A spiritual awakening is knowing the love of God. That God loves you. See, I can try to explain to you all day about love. But ultimately, you have to experience it. See, love changes you. In this verse, Jesus says, he makes known a love which is so deep that explodes deep into our hearts. And it is his love that unites us like nothing ever could. Think about this for a minute. Jesus says, I want Believers, people who who believe in me to know the love 
father that you have for me. That's what Jesus is saying. So what he's saying is he wants you to know that God loves you like he loved Jesus. Well, how did the father love Jesus? From all eternity. With a love so sacrificial and gracious, they'd do anything for you. It's a love that, that transforms us from the inside out. I remember I was uh, running with my friend John, and this is, this is really what connects us. My friend John found out about Grace City about a year ago, and he found out about Grace City on Facebook. So he messaged me all the way from Korea. It says, I'm coming from Korea to the United States, and I'm looking for a church and I saw the Facebook message come up, so I just responded back to him. I said, we would love to have you come visit us. Um, and so he said, I will make a promise to you that I will be there at Grace City when my family comes from Korea. So John came. You probably saw him outside greeting. Um, but John and his family have been coming to Grace City for a while, and we were, we were running one day. Um, so we were running over at um, Miramar Lake and um, we're just running around and, and we started talking about, about Jesus. And we started explaining about our relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that John looks over to me and says, he says, I have felt that way my whole life. He's like, what you're explaining what you're talking about, this love that you, you have for Jesus, like, I have felt that way too. This, we grew up in different places. We've had different life experiences. But my friend John from Korea can connect with me, who I've moved to different places, and we can have the same experience and love of Jesus. Timothy Keller says this, he says, when two people come together who have been shaped by the Spirit of God, they've been regenerated, they've had an experience of God. When they come together, they find that they fit. They've had the same experience. They've had an experience of sin, they repent of their sin, they have an experience of grace, they see God accepts them, that makes them utterly unique in the human world. It just draws us together. It's, it's an, a, spirit, a spiritual awakening. See, a spiritual awakening that Jesus is talking about here is the ultimate U2 moment. I'm not talking about the band. U2? Hold on, you, you, you had that same type of experience? Wow, amazing. And so just some takeaways today. How can we take steps toward a renewed oneness? The first one is this, and this is really important. See your oneness with Christ. Like when you believe in Jesus, we think, well, it's just believing and we just have this nice little relationship with Jesus and Jesus is beside me. But no. Jesus said, I, I wanna get closer. I don't want to just be next to you. I want to be in your life. 
be inside of you. There's an article I saw recently, it says that it was called Poor Theology Could Be Keeping You From Real Faith by Dave Hickman, and here's what he says. He says, over time, I became convinced that my proximity to Jesus was somehow contingent upon the faithfulness of my spiritual devotion. What I mean is, when I was faithful in praying, reading the Bible, and doing as I should, I considered myself to be close to Jesus. When I failed to do these things, which most often was the case, I found myself to be far from him. I jostled between feeling far from Jesus when I was, wasn't doing as I should and longing to be close still when I was. The spiritual roller coaster was nauseating and exhausting. It wasn't until I came to the end of my striving that I stumbled upon the shocking realization that Jesus never wanted to be close to me in the first place. Instead, he always longed to be perfectly one with me instead. John 14, 20, John 15, 5, John 17, 20 through 26, which we're preaching today, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 6, 17. In other words, where I imagine a relationship between two individuals, God had something much more intimate and close in mind, a complete and perfect union with him. That subtle shift in my thinking from relationship to union radically transformed the understanding of my relation to and relationship with God, myself, and those around me. I was then, it was then that I discovered in the words of Philip Yancey, the Jesus I never knew. Do you know that, Jesus? That's why it says all throughout scripture that you are in Christ. It's not like you're getting closer to him and farther from him, but you are in Christ, even in your worst moments. How? Because he is a God of grace who loves you, not based on your performance, but everything that Jesus did for you on the cross. That's it. That's the realization. When I am in Christ, I don't just jump in and out of Christ. He's in my life, and he doesn't leave me even in the mess. See your oneness with Christ. That's the first thing, and that's most important. And if you don't know Jesus today, or you want a real relationship with him, I encourage you today to learn what that means. To learn what that means. The second point and second takeaway is this. Seek gospel-centered community. And this is twofold. The first one is this. Wrestle with God's truth in community. See, God's truth is meant to be experienced in community. A lot of the time we read God's word individually and that's a good thing praise god that we have our own bibles and we can read on our own but the beauty of a christian church family is that it's not just in isolation that we read the bible it's meant to be read in community with others that's why it's important when we come together like this that we're able to read the word together look at what it means have discussions after See, it's not a podcast Christianity. And for a lot of the times, what we do is we just say, well, I'll just settle for the podcast today, and that's great, but it's meant to be done in the context of community. That's why even Jesus points to his relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's in community. One God, three persons in community. And see, we can't do it alone. And so I would encourage you, 
Next week, GC Men is here. We, we have gospel-centered conversations. Matt is doing an awesome job with that. The women's ministry with Nancy and Christina. We are disciples coming together, talking about Jesus, making disciples. And also in the fall, we're gonna start back city groups, and so that's right around the corner. I can't believe summer is almost over. But here's the thing. I would encourage you, get plugged in to a gospel-centered community. And here's the second encouragement. So first, wrestle with God's truth in community and know that you're gonna have questions and it's okay to have questions. But the second point is this, willingly be vulnerable in community. Willingly be vulnerable. See, I know some of you and, and even myself have been hurt in the past and it's, it's hard to trust. It's messy. See, this requires faith and prayer but what we need is a community built on grace, built on knowing that we can share our struggles with each other and we're not gonna be torn down or judged, but encouraged and lifted up. See, this isn't about shame-based obedience. It's about pointing people to Jesus and knowing that Jesus is the only one who can change us from the inside out. And so my encouragement is this, don't give up on how Jesus wants to shape you in community. And even this week, me and my wife, we're having this conversation and just saying, you know, sometimes it's just hard to know how to trust. It is. And so we just prayed, Holy Spirit, help us just to continue to be open and giving and loving with whatever we have with a generous life because that is what you've done for us. See, again, Independence is not a Christian value. Interdependence is. And we see as Jesus points to community, he points to his own relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so here's the gospel today. How is it possible that we we can have a renewed oneness? It's because on the cross, Jesus himself was cosmically separated from the Father because of our sin. Jesus lost his relationship that he had from all eternity so that we could gain the relationship that we had lost in the garden. That's it. So instead of of running and hiding, here's what Jesus did. Jesus ran to the cross because he knew that the cross was the only way to bring us back together in unity and oneness with the Father and with one another. It's the gospel. See, as in the words of Stuart Townend, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, listen to this, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that because of your work, we can be new, we can be one. Made one again with a relationship with you, God, and also made one again in community with one another. There is so much division, strife in our world. I pray for an unexplainable unity that can only happen through the gospel here in this church that you're building, Lord Jesus, for how you're working in our lives. 
And so we look to you, God, as our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.